Welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where every JoJo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 30, and we're discussing our favorite JoBros. As always, there'll be spoilers for anything that's happened in the JoJo anime, so you've been warned. And this right here is a very special episode 30 because we have our very first guests on Strictly JoJo. We're joined by Stephen F.A. from Anime Headliners Podcast. Woohoo! Welcome, guys. Excited to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Yes, guys, this is uh, this is Steve, uh, a.k.a. Steve D. Silverback um, from Anime Headliners over in UK. Uh, yes, so we Woo-hoo. have, um, yeah, it was JoJo. We love JoJo. We love JoJo over here. Uh, FA, FA told me about everything and I'm just like yeah I want to jump on it like it's, it's one of those shows that brings like a different kind of face to anime if that makes sense like yeah and I'm, as soon as I got in touch with you guys I sort of got into your content I was like yeah these guys are my guys really so <laughs> I was excited <laughs> to jump, excited to jump in to talk about the Joe Bros yeah, absolutely. And we've shared before um, here on Strictly JoJo that we were on episode 37 of your podcast to talk about my favorite JoJo, Joseph Joestar. And we had such a good time that we knew we had to have you guys on to talk about these Joe yeah. Bros. Um, but to, to kind of kick things off, do you want to tell our listeners just a little bit about Anime Headliners podcast and what your podcast is all about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Anime Headliners is a, so we're a podcast. Um, initially, we, we became a podcast where we it was birthed from lockdown. Um, initially, we came together to discuss characters, really. All the time, we, as mates on the podcast, we have discussions to talk about you know, power scaling, uh, relationship dynamics, and just talk about who's stronger than who. And we thought, like, let's have a show dedicated to talking specifically about characters and just deep diving into what makes them special what makes them stand out amongst the rest and like not just the thing where we focus on protagonists we talk talk about all the side characters well, all the villains or everyone like it's, it's just something that to show our um admiration for these characters because there's no better place than anime where they have the best written characters ever you know like um i mean if anyone add to that um no it's pretty much covers it really yeah 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 i mean yeah go on I was just, it's a good chance for us to like show our love for all these characters and kind of share our passion for anime with the community as well and just kind of open up a discussion, really. A hundred percent. Yeah, and you guys have a really good variety of characters too. I know your most recent one was Vegeta, mm-hmm. um, and you do a lot of like the the major shonen, but you've also done like Fushiguro from um, Jujutsu Kaisen, who I really love. You even had Naofumi from Shield Hero. I was like, oh, that's gonna be a really good discussion. <laughs> I love Shield Hero. So yeah, you guys you touch on everything. I think one of um, another episode that you guys did that I really enjoyed was Light Yagami from Death Note, which is just a classic. Yeah, classic, absolutely classic. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the other thing about the content making. Like, you know, you see you see characters that are come up in terms of our schedule, and just like, yes, this guy, and like, you know, just 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 smile with so admiration for you know characters that come up. But yeah, we get very excited about our characters as well. Everyone's fighting to be on there. I want to talk about him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it's great that you guys have such an extensive knowledge of all of these different anime and all these different characters. Um, but of course, with this being a podcast that is wholly dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I feel like I would be remiss if I did not ask if you guys had binged Stone Ocean yet, part six. Ooh, part six. I personally haven't seen it yet, but that's because 
Oh, okay. I want to binge watch it. I could like the whole, the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, because um, no, I I because I know how much I love JoJo, and I don't think I'll be able to wait for <laughs> the weekly releases. I'll be itching for it, so I was like, okay, just wait until there's a great number of episodes, and then just plan through it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the main key here when it yeah, comes I to can... anime binge watching. Like, it's always like um, uh, you you want a good number to just chillax and just appreciate like a good number of episodes. You don't want to just wait weekly and just oh my god, be pulling my hair out, you know? No, I barely have any, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely relate to that. I'm between the two of us. I, I'm definitely the binge watcher, and I first started JoJo's Bizarre Adventure like within days after part five ending. So I was able to binge all of parts one through five (laughs) and catch up to like the hype train. So it was great. It was like perfect timing for me to watch that. So yeah, now watching Stone Ocean as it's releasing is a bit painful because I'm like, man, I kind of want to know what happens next, but I got to wait like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. So it's on Netflix um, over in the UK as well. Is that right? Is that on Netflix? Oh yeah, I think they are bringing it out on Netflix. Is yeah, it? part six. Yeah, if it is, okay. I'm gonna actually yeah. check that. Yeah, if that's the case, I mean, then, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can jump on that right now. I know. I feel like everyone else in the world is getting it on Netflix. I think Japan too, to be fair. But everyone else is getting it on Netflix early. But then Japan, where it actually comes from, they're not getting it on regular TV programming until January. Wow. So it's like a mad move on Netflix's part to force everyone to get Netflix accounts yeah. to mm-hmm. watch JoJo. I'm like, that's that's a that's a tough one right there. And that's such an interesting flip because usually Japan gets everything first. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> now now we can spoil them for yeah, once. For once. <laughs> well how about um just in general are there any other anime that you guys are watching right now um me i'm at the moment i'm watching uh that time i got re- reincarnated as a slime Ooh, how is oh, that wow. i haven't jumped on that train yet but how is it i i love it it's kind of it's comical in the sense like it's like one punch man where it's kind of like the main character is almost a troll that can do anything they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Just the concept. I'm I'm a massive fan of animes where they're trying to make like a RPG kind of world where there's like monsters and spells and kind of almost makes like a game. That's what mm. kind of it shows is that's what it kind of goes towards. I know that's why I love it anyway. I'm watching them um, because the second part recently came out. Second part of part of season two. That's what I'm watching at the moment. Okay, I feel like I need to finally just commit and add that to my watch list. Because I, I love Shield Hero, and Shield Hero is that same type of isekai yeah. Yeah. Um, fantasy world anime. Yeah. Um, but if this one has more of a humor element or a, com- a comedic element than Shield Hero, I feel like I'd really like it. So I think you, you're you're pushing me to, to finally watch <laughs> slime anime. <laughs> Dude, I remember when I started it, I was... I... I was just thinking about the walk into work. Work. I was like, oh, I need to get back home. I need to watch this. Yeah, <laughs> I love that feeling. I love that feeling. You know, you've yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, what about you, Steve? Are you watching anything right now? So I recently um, got into. I mean, I'm, I know I'm like two years late or something, but I recently got into Fire Force. And I'm, oh. I, I gotta say, I'm really, really captivated by you know all the action that it has. It's you know, very aesthetically. You know, a nice anime to watch, really. You know, and I thought there's more depth to it than I, um, that I expected. Than I expected, anyway. So yeah, um, obviously there's the typical big shonen of One Piece that I watch the anime uh, weekly as well. But yeah, I've really recently got into binging Fire Force. So yeah, really enjoy that now. 
Nice. That's another one that I feel like I, I should commit to. Is there only one season of Fire Force, or are there multiple seasons? Um, there's two seasons now. So, yeah, I'm still, like, binging through season one. And, yeah, like, I can't get enough of it, really. It's, like, one of those feelings you want to get home. Like FA said, like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had Fire Force on my watch list. So yeah. I, I feel like I have to prioritize that now once I finish <laughs> the other stuff that I'm working on. <laughs> well, Carl, you're you're almost done with the Bebop live action, right? Yes, I am watching the Cowboy Bebop Ooh, yeah. live action on Netflix. Um, bit of an unfortunate news this week because yeah, I believe cool. Netflix canceled <laughs> the show. After Is it way. unfortunate though? Is it unfortunate? <laughs> I'm I'm not the biggest fan of live actions, and I was kind of hesitant about Bebop, but. I don't know. Like I hear mixed reviews about it. Yeah. Like I've. Oh, go ahead. I was just very. Have you guys watched about it? it? I was. I was hoping to hear more about your opinions on it, Carl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm. <laughs> I'm. I think seven episodes in, and, you know, I think it's hard for me to like, watch it without having the comparisons to the original anime. Yeah. Like I feel like, you know, because people are probably approaching Cowboy Bebop, the live action, for the first time without even knowing there's an anime. But, you know, I think, like, I have to be biased in that sense in that, like, it's it it's a unique take on the characters and the story. But I think there's still a, an element that's missing there that you can't always translate well from the original anime material. Yeah. Um, I will say that the actors who play Spike and Jet um, they steal the show. I think they've embodied those characters pretty well, despite the way the live action kind of a, uniquely adapts their story. But yeah, with Netflix just outright canceling it after all the hype. Oh man. <laughs> um, it makes me kind of wary because I know they're doing a One Piece live action. Yeah. For, oh, yeah, that's right. Netflix they are. Soon. Um, so that kind of makes me wary of how they're going to treat that series. Um, <laughs> yeah, what do you guys think? I mean, after hearing that news about the One Piece live action, what are your what are your thoughts? I mean, we we have not started One Piece yet, but as One Piece fans, I mean, what's your reaction? I'm scared. Firstly, I, like you, I'm very, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very scared. Anytime live action gets announced of an anime that I love. I'm always like, oh, they're going to ruin it for the new fans because typically live actions aren't very good. So because of that, I'm worried that they might scare off new fans and fans might think, oh, this is what One Piece is about or if it's not good, mm -hmm. that is anyway. Yeah, I'm, hope I'm hoping it's good. But I'm scared if it isn't. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I completely with you there. That's my That was my exact reaction to the Bebop live action. And I, I feel like to a certain degree, I, I'm very pessimistic about it, but yeah. um, I feel like to a certain degree, my fears came true. Because I mean, if they canceled it after one season, I think that's pretty telling. Uh, it's kind of like when people hear about Death Note, but then the first thing they watch is the Netflix Death Note adaptation, which is like completely yeah. off the track of Death Note from what I've heard. I mean, they changed Light Yagami to Light Turner, for God's sake. <laughs> like, that's, that? that's clear there. <laughs> yeah, they, they did not stick to the source material, I think, at, at that point. Um, but no, I, I totally feel you about just being worried that something that you cherish that much is going to be soured by a really poor adaptation. 
Well, with all of that said, um, let's dive into something that we can always rely on, which is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. That will hopefully not be tainted by Yeah, live hopefully action. we'll never have a, an overseas live action dead. adaptation. Please, Kami-sama. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for this episode, we are discussing our favorite Joe Bros. Um, so we asked everyone here to choose their three favorite Joe Bros from any part of the JoJo anime. And what we'll do is we'll go around and each person will share one of the Joe Bros on their list. And for anyone listening who's not familiar with the term Joe Bro, um, those are the non-JoJo main characters or supporting characters. So for example, um, it's the other Stardust Crusaders besides Jotaro and Joseph from Part 3. Those guys would all be considered Joe Bros. So yeah, everyone here has um, a couple of them on their list. We'll go around and we'll share who's on our list, why we love them, why you know they're a, a great Joe Bro, and then we'll we'll just we'll discuss. So to kind of warm us up here, um, Carl, do you want to share the first one on on your list? Sure. And so I have three different Joe Bros and. I feel like we, uh, like the four of us, will probably have a lot of common ones. Um, so I felt like I wanted to put in a good word on these sort of underdogs or the unsung heroes of JoJo. And so the first character of the first JoBro I chose is actually from Part Two, uh, Battle Tendency, which is. Everyone's favorite Nazi, Rudolf von Strom. Oh, Everyone's favorite God. Nazi. I was, thinking, I was thinking about adding him as well, actually. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like, him. you know, yeah, out of context, it probably sounds alarming when I say that one of my favorite characters in an anime is a Nazi officer. So, <laughs> <laughs> <but> <laughs> I think, yeah, he's a very extreme example of this sort of trope that comes up in JoJo where former enemies become like new allies. Um, and I know like you can't forgive him because he does commit a lot of crimes against humanity in part two, especially when they're in Mexico and they have, I think it's like the, the villagers in that cage, right? And he's using them to kind of feed the, the pillar um, like their blood. Cause that's what I guess gives it life energy or whatever. But I think you know as the as part two progresses, especially in that episode arc, Stroheim is at least sensible enough to put aside his political differences and you know his his supremacy ideals and acknowledge that there's a more credible threat to humanity with the discovery of these pillar men. And not only that, but he can shriek like crazy. Like his scream is just obnoxious. <laughs> it's amazing, but just uh, it's it's terrifying at the same that, time. Yeah, I mean, if you ever look <laughs> all all his um, shortcomings, he does have a cool fashion vibe. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and I mean, to be to be fair, um, you know, he he stayed the course as a German soldier. He went back to the war after everything got concluded with the Pillar Men, but you know, not before basically saving joseph's life a number of times yeah. so i think that that's a that's a joe bro quality right there yeah yeah um because i would say it like like you said at the very base of it stroheim is a soldier and so he has a lot of these honorable and sacrificial virtues with him like a sort of fighting spirit um that's sort of synonymous with every the titular jojo of every part um because i think Again, with that whole facility in Mexico, once he found out that 
um, what was his name? Santana? Yeah. Once he found out that Santana was dangerous, he rushed his ass to open that door to let the sun in um, to stop the guy. And then once he found out like that didn't really work, and then Santana went inside Stroheim's body, like Stroheim made the decision to like basically off himself um, so that no one would have to experience the the perilous threat of Santana. Although we do have to acknowledge too that in, in those moments leading up to um, him opening the door, he told Joseph to hack his leg off, didn't he? Right. Which yeah. is crazy. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah, that's some that's some level of dedication. Yeah. I'm sure part of it was like major guilt because the whole reason Santana was even alive was because of Stroheim in that moment. He mm-hmm. didn't heed anyone's warning. So he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll lose a leg because I, I made this threat become a reality. <laughs> I, I was just like, I remember seeing that, I was like, that's extreme, but fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's always justified that you know Stroheim gets the short end of, of things. Yeah, he kind of eats his words multiple times too. Like he'll he'll laugh at you know one of the pillar men about something, and he'll turn around and do something he was not expecting. And yeah, he's he's a hot and cold type of character, but overall, we we can certainly call him a, a Joe bro. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like it was very resourceful as well because like with all the, I mean, he turned it. I mean, him being a cyborg and everything and having all the well, I say cannon fodder or the whole army and everything it was just came to be a useful guy you know to stall like uh was it cars that man yeah fight. yeah and yeah I thought that was I thought like you know I was really interested in like what he could what else he could invent what he could make of himself anyway as the cyborg yeah player. with that that German the engineering German, yeah have. German engineering yeah <laughs> which <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny that like you mentioned his return as the cyborg and he has all of those contraptions and like the I think the machine gun coming out of his stomach. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And just falling back on his, you know, his overconfidence because now he's this sort of upgraded man um, with the confidence to, to take down cars. I think cars kind of just destroys him in the same episode (laughs) (laughs) just to again like bring him back down to earth and and in the final face-off between cars and um and stroheim after stroheim accidentally makes him into the ultimate being (laughs) cars takes him down with a rabid squirrel the squirrel burrows into stroheim's stomach remember remember Uh, and that's how he takes him down (laughs) i'm like oh my god of all things a squirrel stroheim got taken down by a squirrel (laughs) (laughs) so yeah he doesn't have the best luck ever but it's all right (laughs) oh my god all right um steve do you want to go with uh the first joe bro on your list so um i'm going to uh, i i I mean we i know me and fs you already agreed on this guy we both we both came up with it on our list because we went through our list before we came on um (laughs) i'm gonna say koichi Oh, oh Koichi. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like um he's he's someone that I really rooted for in JoJo because obviously he's he's the guy that um befriend he was the first guy to have befriended that we saw befriend Josuke in part uh it's part four. And yeah, I mean I, I just I just I was really interested in him because if he was going to be involved in a whole main core group of the whole part four series, I wanted to see whether how how he was gonna develop into the character that he became to be, and like I, yeah, I always wanted to see how um, a stand was, you know, how you beca- how you initially got a stand, and obviously you got it through the bow and arrow, and yeah, I was just I just thought I was always rooting for him because he's he's 
he's the little guy. People wouldn't think much of him and stuff. But we came to see how he really developed so heavily as a character. Like, came to see him as uh, that guy being brave and everything. Um, we saw we saw him develop his stand into Act One, Act Two. Um, what, what was the stand's name again? Um, I think it was Echoes. Yeah, Echoes. Echoes Act One, Two. Oh uh, yeah, Echoes. Was there a third Reverb. one? Reverb. Reverb. Was it? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, 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 and I really, I actually liked the ability of um, Act Three particularly. I thought the design was quite cool, and it really suited them. Um, that whole gravity thing, I think that was very useful. And like, it became we came to see how um, the Joe Stars and Jotaro, even not even just Josuke, but Jotaro as well. Like, they really came to admire how loyal he was to the group, and you know, what what really sold sold me onto him, like as why I really um, liked him, is because. Um, when he actually encountered Kira, um, you know, he, there was so many thoughts going through his mind and he started to get frustrated of how scared he was. And I was like, yeah, man, why, why are you still scared? Like, just be calm and just encounter, find the weakness. And like, you know, he was able to um, move that heart attack move just briefly, but he wasn't even afraid to die at, the, at that point when, you know, Kira technically killed him. Um, yeah, it was. I just really thought thought his development was very admirable to see for the little guy, and obviously the <laughs> the dynamic he had with Yukako Yukaku was very <laughs> <laughs> the psycho that, girlfriend. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I was like, they give the little give the little guy a girlfriend. Like you got you got like that, man. Don't always. Yeah. Like, yeah. The cat doesn't always get the girl, you know. Like sometimes the little guy does as well. Yeah, I love that. And you bring up a good point about him being like a very unexpected underdog character, yeah. going from scared little Koichi to being one of the few people in this world that Jotaro actually trusts. It's very difficult to earn Jotaro's trust, and yeah. he actually <laughs> earned it sure. to the point where he gets sent in part five to Italy on behalf of Jotaro. Like, that's that's pretty big. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, Jotaro couldn't trust like Okoyasu with him. That, <laughs> that dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> That's, actually, Steve, it's funny that you mentioned character development with Koichi because I think the most, I guess, blatant example of his character development is his hair. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> he starts off with, like, the flat top, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually he he becomes, like, a, like a Saiyan. Or like, <laughs> Saiyan. <laughs> he has, like, horror and everything. Yeah, didn't he have, like, a comb over at first, like? You know, then all oh, right, he yeah, did, yeah. He had like a comb over, then yeah, the then the, the I don't know. I think it was just maybe it was just like uh, foreshadowing his development throughout the whole series. Like maybe it was a bit more expressive of his personality and everything, like just the way his hair mm-hmm. was changing and everything. I like this. I like I like that um, flat top thing. I was just thought, yeah, that looks quite fun. I didn't you know? like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I like it, man. It was quite cool. Yeah. <laughs> so fun i'm actually yeah yeah i'm curious i i didn't notice this the couple times i watched part four but next time i rewatch it i wonder if he changes his hairstyle every time echoes evolves into its next act because i think there's the three hairstyles and then there's three echoes yeah Yeah. um so i'll have to go back and look at that because now i'm like i wonder if they coincide i think he did and that's why he's on my list as well so a lot of the reason i like him is the character development like just being able to see natural progression of this timid kid becoming more confident and having more self-belief having like having it shown through his um his stand as well because 
I remember when the first show they stand, it was just an egg. That did oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> and I, I found it funny. I was like, oh, geez, here we go. It's just going to be another troll character that's going to do nothing and add nothing to the scene. So I quite liked that they built on that. And we kind of get to actually see him grow, not just grow and then still remain a side character. He actually became quite prominent in the show where his abilities, especially in Act 3, became more useful in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I totally forgot about the egg. I remember thinking, I'm like, is this a Yoshi moment? Like, why, why is there an egg here? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. And I'll say there aren't, like, other stands. I mean, part five introduces, like, the concept of Requiem. But I don't know if there are any other stands that have, like, this sort of evolution like Koichi's stand does. Yeah, I can't think yeah. of one either. I mean, I know uh, Killer Queen has three three types oh, of right, sands yeah. you got sheer heart attack and bites the dust i don't know if those are like parts of killer queen or like subsets i don't know what you would classify them as but it's not like an actual evolution like a pokemon so yeah i think his stand is unique in that way yeah i always I always feel like uh for villains their stands are just bullshit like how come he has those <laughs> <laughs> how come he has those like attachments to his stand like doesn't i mean yeah. obviously yeah we know jotaro can stop time and you know uh uh Josuke can uh, rewind your wounds and stuff but still like heart attack is invincible like literally invincible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and he can just yeah i mean he could pretty much do the same thing with bats of dust in terms of well and manipulating time and everything um uh, yeah queen. yeah yeah but yeah awesome all right well then fa do you want to go with one of the joe bros on your list i know that you mentioned that koichi may have already been on your list but is there another person you wanted to bring up yeah yeah sure i have um Kukoin. Kakioin, oh, oh, I love, I love him. him. I love him. Like, um, well, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> best Joe Bro moment, the cherries. <laughs> well, that's the one, man. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. No. Guy knows how to use his tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, one of the reasons I love him is just his character design, mainly. Because <laughs> I love the colour green, and everything he did was green. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, aside from all of that, it's like just his demeanour. I, I liked what the balance he brought to the team, as in, compared to everyone else on the team, he wasn't a straight-up brawler, in a sense, where his stand wasn't exceptionally strong. And everything, yeah. all his ability relied more on intellect, right? Yeah. Or, that's why I liked him anyway. I thought that's what he brought to the team, that strategic side of things where you're not just thinking about who can throw the most strongest punches. It's about how do you find a different way to win. Yeah, especially um, at the very end when they encounter Dio. I think he sets up like a sort of like a yeah. system with Hierophant Green where he can detect where like Dio's coming from. Yeah, so he sets yeah that's where right. Like and there's not a lot of characters that go one-on-one -on -one with Dio and can hold their own for that long. Um, I mean, we all know what happens to Kakyoin at the end of it, but to be able to, to face off directly with Dio and come up with a strategy like that, realizing, because it, it was Kakyoin who realized that Dio could control time or stop time. And mm -hmm. if it weren't for Kakyoin sending a signal after he got donutted, the whole the whole Stardust <laughs> Crusaders team probably would have been wiped out at that point. Yeah, <laughs> because no one understood <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's why I like him because he brought in that element to the team. Like, who else could have figured that out? Because everyone else, their abilities were more focused towards, or their mindset was more focused towards having a brawl or kind of 
was going at it. Whereas he always saw things from that kind of. I always see him like um, almost like attaching in a sense where he's trying to find a weakness in anyone's everyone's abilities or what everyone is doing. Yeah, and that actually, as you're saying that, I was I was um, also thinking about uh, like another good example. I feel like is the Death Thirteen episode with the dream and like the clown because you wake up from the death 13 dreams and you don't remember anything, but he was clever enough to realize some of the damage you take in the dream gets transferred to real life. So he wrote baby stand on his arm. I mean, the poor guy had a hard time like convincing everyone that the baby was a stand. (laughs) 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 But like how, like to me, I think it was so clever of him to do the whole baby stand thing. That, that was the triggering point, which again, saved all of the Stardust Crusaders lives. Um, because they were, he was able to to remember somehow that the baby was a stand user, and then he fed the baby his own poop. So that was good revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. You have to die. Oh, that, that is the level of pissiness you have to love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and actually, I read um a fan theory that the reason cherries are Kakioin's favorite food is because they match his color scheme. Because you mentioned earlier, he's he has a lot of green elements. But if you look at his hair, his hair is pink, reddish pink. Yeah. And then yeah. his outfit is green, kind of like cherries. So, I don't oh. know. Maybe there's a connection there. He really loves cherries, oh. though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although everyone always he says that like he's one. he's a, just a big mother lover because of... A mother oh, lover. Gosh, yeah, yeah. I remember when... Uh, was, it, was it when... um. Jotaro's mom was sick and was saying, oh, I'll do anything for something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, dude, you just beat, met man. Jotaro. Like, <laughs> you just met Jotaro two days ago and you've got a hard on for his mom already. <laughs> like... <laughs> Priority. Priorities. <laughs> what he wants. <laughs> I will say that I, I do like um, musically um, Kakyuin's theme that plays. Um, I, know, I think the title is called Noble Pope. I don't know why they chose that, yeah. but it's one of my favorite themes outside of um, the like Jotaro's main theme in Stardust Crusaders. Yeah, it is really hype. Because it, it, yeah, it it reminds me of like something you hear in like Super Smash Brothers <laughs> <laughs> when you're battling people. But Awesome. All right, so I'll I'll go next. Um, and the first one on my list, I think, is very expected. It's probably one of the most beloved Joe Bros out there, and it's Ario Speedwagon from Parts <laughs> One and Two because you oh. can't have Joe Bros without Best Waifu Speedwagon. <laughs> like <laughs> he, he is the epitome of Best Waifu. He shows up on Best Waifu lists across all of the anime oh, community really? for a reason. <laughs> he Speedwagon. he's like wow. Yeah, (laughs) he he's Jonathan's hype man, and then in part two, he's kind of like Joseph's father figure since Joseph doesn't really have a father since his dad got killed. And to me, I know that people argue Speedwagon does not have any abilities, like tactically and and power wise, he doesn't offer anything to the Joe stars. But I think he does have one of the most powerful abilities in all of JoJo, which is money. Like the guy is filthy rich. <laughs> he's he's filthy rich, and he uses his wealth to help. He like helps and protect protects the Joe stars using the money that he has and the foundation that he starts even long after he's he's passed on. Yeah. So I feel like that's a, a pretty big joe bro move um because mm. we even see i mean not really spoilers or anything but we see references to the speedwagon foundation even in part six so like throughout 
throughout all of the the JoJo parts, there are references to the Speedwagon Foundation. So I feel like having that long lasting impact on the Joe Stars is a pretty pretty important thing. So I personally classify him as you know a, a true Joe bro. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I feel like, especially the uh, father figure to um, Joseph as well, I think that's really important because it helped. Because Joseph, as we know, is very erratic and does a lot of stupid shit. I feel like it, it like <laughs> was there to help him kind of calm down or kind of guide him in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's no surprise that Speedwagon dies of a heart attack because he freaks out about everything <laughs> all the time. So when they tell you, like, oh, in the end, he never married and he died of a heart attack, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of fit. <laughs> the guy panics all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think Speedwagon 2, one of my favorite parts about him is, again, he, he's Jonathan's hype man, but to the point where he's even, like, proud of Jonathan when he, you know, gets back together with Irina and marries her and goes off on their honeymoon and stuff. Like, that's, that's a true friend right there. If you're excited for someone, not only in the midst of like a battle you're there to support them but you're there to support them in their their actual like personal life too so yeah speedwagon is best waifu 100 uh, speedwagon was actually in my list as well um was he really yeah 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 because like i can't i completely agree with what you're saying courtney um i also like the fact that yeah, like because because of um how he started that foundation every time like it gets mentioned in like the future parts i feel like you know it's a throwback to uh, you know the beginnings of Jojo, and I feel like you know that's something very uh, influential about Speedwagon. Um, how I became that philanthropist to just study what the things he experienced with the Joe Stars literally stemmed his whole foundation um, in the explanation of archaeological, yeah, archaeological, you know, supernatural things that he's trying to mm-hmm. uncover with all the stands and Hammond st- stuff that he uncovered. Um, yeah, uh, he's he's. He is just oozes influence on the whole JoJo franchise, so that's why I included him in my list. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do love those nods too, like in part three where um, Joseph's like, "Hey, I've got connections to Speedwagon Foundation. They'll take us in a helicopter yeah. to yeah, yeah, know, to yeah. Egypt and stuff." Just those those little nods that say Speedwagon is still here. He's still helping the Joe Stars. <laughs> yeah, I would say there's there's two things that I love about Speedwagon. One, b- besides him, like you know having like a heart attack every time like the Josephs <laughs> the jo- the Joseph the Joe stars or the Jojos do anything against their enemies. Um he serves as like that sort of play by play announcer that you hear during like a, a sports game. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> or even like even like in Pokemon battles when there's someone on the side reciting what's happening. I I just find that so funny about Speedwagon. Yeah. Um the second thing is that like Speedwagon came from a uh, criminal background and i think at first he was out to get jonathan in part one and then like he realized how noble jonathan was in in their in their battle that it kind of made him change his ways and so i think speedwagon is the person who kind of sets up that notion of these jojos having such a noble and compassionate influence on characters whether they're uh, friendly or antagonistic that especially with the antagonistic ones they they sort of have a change of heart and um, become allied to the noble cause yeah i never realized that you're, you're right he is the original foe turned friend for the joe stars he's the one that started it all because you had Speedwagon, and then in part two you had Smokey was foe turned friend mm-hmm. and then in part three you had kakyo and Polnareff, and then it just keeps going from there and there that's mm. a that's a good point he started the the chain reaction 
Well, yeah. Props to Speedwagon. I love him. Um, okay, so then, Carl, do you want to go next with whoever's on your list? Yeah. Um, so this might come as a surprise to Courtney because Uh-oh. I've always voiced, <laughs> I've always voiced to her that part four is my least favorite part of JoJo. <laughs> oh, wow. But my second, my second favorite Joe bro actually comes from part four, and that's um, Shigekiyo Yangu, also known as Shigechi. Really, oh, you put Shigechi on your list. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at first impressions, you just see this really sleazy student who kind of looks like um, Eric Cartman's half-brother. And I read somewhere that, I don't watch DBZ, but someone mentions that the the spikes on his head kind of look like uh, the character Dodoria. Oh, Oh, Dodoria, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I don't know if there's a correlation there. And plus, Shigechi has that really creepy, like, shi shi sound. Yeah, shi 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 or whatever. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. <laughs> oh and God. so, just everything about this character screams, I don't like this, this <laughs> middle like school this. student. Um, and then he has the stand that he uses for greedy means, um, Harvest, yeah. where it's like his little minions that collect loose change and random items um, around uh, Moriocho or the town of Morio. In that re- in that regard, he kind of reminds me. I had this friend from high school, who he was so stingy that he would save up enough of his school lunch money, which was just like loose change. And over time, I think as the year went on and he went into summer break, he used that money to buy a MacBook. What the hell? <laughs> it was the craziest thing, um, but. I think what draws me to Shigechi is obviously like he, I think Josuke and Okuyasu knock some sense into him after they he kind of shafts them on the deal they made about splitting um, some of their earnings. Uh, and in that sense, like they, they kind of straighten him out and then he becomes that foe turned friend that we constantly mm-hmm. see in Jojo. Yeah. But I think what is great about Shigechi is that at first, you think he's this throwaway character, kind of like this stand user of the week, yeah. um, which is because like he gets introduced in part four, and then two episodes later, he's blasted to Kingdom Come oh, by yeah. Hira. That was actually so sad yeah. the way he passed on. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I love about Chigechi is like his death was probably the most one of the most impactful and emotional in part four, yeah. and especially like after he gets injured by Kira um, and he learns that like Kira is not to be fucked with and like he's such a threat to this town like he seeks out Josuke knowing that Josuke's stand crazy diamond is will be able to heal him but he doesn't make it to the classroom in time and you I think the last shot that you get you see is, is of Josuke and Okuyasu in the classroom and I then a reflection of Kira yeah, yeah. Um, and then Kira blows him up but Thankfully, Shigechi was able to send his the last of his stand to give Josuke the button that came off of Kira's jacket. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's thanks to Shigechi that Josuke and the whole gang of people were able to find Kira in the first place. So, you know, as much as this guy looks like someone you wouldn't want to hang around with, mm. like he he served a pretty significant purpose in part four. 
too. And I think there was some genuine, like Okuyasu and Josuke genuinely saw him as a friend too. Like, yet to your point, they they kind of butted heads time and time and again when it came to like the lottery ticket and how to use Harvest and all of that. But at the end of the day, I I think uh, once Josuke and Okuyasu realized that Shigechi was killed they they were pretty impacted by that too like they they were hurt because they, they did see him as an actual friend yeah he was i think the, like the first like real casualty in their group um like on kira like kira's first casualty in their group yeah um and yeah it, it's also sad because he like after knowing that the town's up against this psychotic men- menace i think he'd internally says like he has to protect his mother and father like his mama and papa oh yeah and like it's so Great sad because he he's a middle school student <laughs> and he's going through all of this shit right now it's like give this give this boy an award for world's greatest son yeah like, he did his best to stop this threat <laughs> oh poor shigechi yeah he was a great character and i i always hate that i know there's that meme out there um in the jojo community about those three girls who saw him in the hallway all bloodied up and they were like ew who's that instead of trying to help him like yeah, that was the... yeah i was thinking the same yeah. thing but this guy call the police something just walking through the height um the middle school as well like just strolling along guy in a work outfit just uh yeah i was just thinking yeah that. those girls are probably the worst villains of part four. <laughs> yeah <laughs> one, one thing about shigechi is like i feel at the same time um as i feel like he's he is like a proper embodiment of human nature like once you know okiyasu and josuke exposed him to ways better ways of making money <laughs> like obviously became he just became like um more greedy he just just thought, oh, this is my ability. I should take all the money. <laughs> so, uh-huh. and the way and the way he just kept kept trying to give them like a little cut every time um, they were they were able to get like a big um, jackpot, basically, uh, like a little I don't know, hundred thousand yen or something like that off off of millions. I was just like, that is hilarious. That dynamic, like this guy you cheat. We introduce you to this. I was just like, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, he gave him the greed real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we can't forget that, like, this is my last point with Chigechi, is that he is the only witness to and recipient of Kira's infamous My Name is Yoshikage Kira speech. Oh, shit. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, my God. Like that long, I think it's like a minute and a half of Kira explaining <laughs> what he does for work. And she gets you just standing there looking at him like, the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's, it's one of the weirdest moments in JoJo, but like, yeah. I think, like it's explained that, you know, Kira has a very mundane life and wants to keep it that way. Yeah. And this middle school student is about to ruin it for him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Shigechi. Um, okay, so then let's see. Steve, do you want to go next with uh, the next person on your list? Yeah, so this is not actually a person, technically. Um, oh, this cool. is uh, I- uh, Iggy from part three. Yeah, oh, Iggy. Iggy. Yes, the little mutt. Uh, <laughs> I loved, uh, I actually loved Iggy because I feel like he was just, weirdly, weirdly, he was a bit relatable because he, he kind of, I'm not saying I'm like Iggy, but he kind of never wanted to be involved with like anybody's business. Obviously, 
Joseph took him out, like forced him to come with them because he understood like understood that his abilities could be useful. And the forest stand was quite cool as well. Iggy stand. Um, what was it called again? Was it the fall? The fall, I think. Yeah. Yeah, the fall. Yeah, the fall. Yeah, fall was very useful, and um, I, I think there was a part in the series where we actually start to hear and see dialogue from Iggy, like towards the end of part um, three. Where he was talking um when he encountered like obviously when they encountered Dia's house he had that um he had that battle with that eagle or fowl or hawk thing and I thought that that was actually a quite epic battle to, to say the least yeah that was quite an epic battle and um it's just it's just it's just funny the whole dynamic he has with the core group because um obviously the way they got him to come with them was uh obviously they had the coffee flavored gum which was which he loved <laughs> and i think it was like i think they used like reverse psychology just to i remember it was jotaro that did it and we were just saying like um you know we don't need him to come with us or something like that you know he'll just be a nuisance to the squad and that and i feel like um you know he doesn't want to be involved but that's what made him come along tag along because he just thought i can be useful to this guy so what's he talking about what's he you know just he was just someone that never wanted to be thoroughly involved with like their quest in order to stop Dio. But at the end of the day, I think we came to see a moral side to um, Iggy because obviously he didn't want to see he didn't want to see those guys pass on or just get killed. Like he didn't want that. And I thought the way that was very noble, um, defending Polinerif and everything um, in Dio's yard. Um, but yeah, it was it was very. I think Iggy is absolutely hilarious, just in general, like um, always fighting in Pol- Polnareff's face and everything. And <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> there was one part when um, <laughs> when Ab- Abdul and uh, Joseph were fighting one of Dia's followers, <laughs> and Iggy Iggy saw them on the road. He literally looked at them like in an intense battle. And he just he went back into the alleyway just <laughs> I was like, oh my days, go help them. Yeah, he didn't, didn't give a shit. <laughs> he didn't give a shit about those guys. I think one of my favorite parts um with Iggy, I think it's earlier in after his introduction, when the Stardust Crusaders are up against the blind stand user. I don't remember his name. Um, I think it was like Nadul. Yeah, Nadul. And uh, there's that part where Iggy is being, um, like he's not being cooperative. And so Jotaro just takes him with Star Platinum and whips him like a fastball all oh, the way yeah. at the stand user. <laughs> and Iggy's just like, he has no no choice but to just, you know, yeah. be picked up and thrown across the desert. <laughs> it's just so funny because I can imagine just how fast Star Platinum could whip his ass across. The yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just so funny that iggy like steve said like he does not want to be a part of this group but i think the rede- <laughs> the redeeming quality at, at the end of his life is um in that fight with vanilla ice like you said he saves yeah. polnareff so it it does show that he he does care for these stardust crusaders as yeah. much as he just kind of just stuck around with them he didn't really want to be a part of it um so in that sense like his death followed up by Avdol's death was just like a one-two punch. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you bring up, actually, uh, Iggy and Polnareff's relationship is one of my favorites in Stardust Crusaders because they, they start off like Polnareff wants to befriend Iggy and then clearly Iggy is not interested. So then they just butt heads for most of the time. But as as the story goes on, I mean, that's the ultimate relationship development is sacrificing your own life for somebody yeah. else. So even though Iggy didn't, you know, outright show that he liked Polnareff, like you said, Steve, he instead farted in his face most of the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he at least, you know, made that ultimate sacrifice for him. So that's that's a Joe Bro move right there. Absolutely. Yeah, sacrifice, yeah. Awesome. All right, well then, um, F.A., do you want to go next? Yeah, yeah. So my last character actually is Bruno. Ooh, Bruno. Ooh that's Butch a great again. one. Yeah, I, I really like Bruno. <laughs> really good character i think i i liked his um his demeanor actually just kind of how can be quite brutal but also quite nice as well um i, I love his light his lie detection thing i think one of the favorite things oh, <laughs> it, so it licks the sweat off of yeah. <laughs> and like, what a way to like meet somebody they just come up and like they they zip themselves through space and time grab your face and lick your cheek <laughs> strange <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i thought he was quite he was really good in that series as well just the way he just he's got um gosh his demeanor around the whole thing and his abilities as well i found were quite useful in terms of how i would never think zippers would be anything good or anything useful in any kind of fight at all but the way he used it was quite versatile as well and that shows from his his <laughs> intellects as well yeah. When he died, I found it, it 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 was quite sad, especially the way he died as well. When he was like, I was dead already after he um met it was it Diablo. If I'm remembering his name right. Yeah. 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 He, um, yeah. Um, Gio brought him back to life, and he's just like, oh, I've been dead since then. I found that quite sad. I was like, oh shit, we're literally watching this man die. Yeah, that's a good point. He goes through all of these motions. He continues to fight, knowing that at the end he's he's dying regardless. So that that's a another big like self sacrifice type of move. And he's a he's probably one of the best leaders that we have in the JoJo series because he mm -hmm. brought together what's his team? Passione. Yeah, he brought together his his people call it Bucci Gang. He brought together Bucci Gang. You know <laughs> these like ragtag yeah. delinquents across Italy and got them to to fight for a common goal. And even though some of them would always butt heads, they all work together to basically make Giorno yeah. the head of the mafia at the end of the day. <laughs> it was so strange because they're all so different. You can you would never look at them and say, this guy's a group of friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess if if people can say that Speedwagon is best waifu, you could say that Pucherity is the best mom. He is best mom, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Oh my and God. then he has like <laughs> that that glorious ascension into heaven at the end. Oh yeah, was, like really out of place, but like it was so majestic. Apparently in Italy, because I I had watched like a clip on Reddit of um, Araki visiting Italy to do some roadshow or whatever for JoJo Part Five after it came out, because obviously it's set in Italy, and people were like standing there in the crowd with signs of Bucerati, but done up like he was Jesus Christ, like with like rays of light coming from behind him. <laughs> And they were chanting Bucciarati's name like, man, Italians love Bucciarati. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> and he rocks that bowl cut pretty yeah, well. He does. He's one of the he few does. people that, that rocks it. Wait, who's got a better haircut? That um, flat top that Koichi has or uh, Bucciarati's bowl cut? What do we think I, I, is a better haircut? I, 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 I go stick 
Yeah, I got a stick of Koichi man, that one. horrible. It's awesome, man. Like, brings me back to the 80s or even though they're in the 90s. But yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well. <laughs> it adds some to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah whenever i think about a bowl cut i think of like a young asian boy so he's yeah. rocking the young asian boy haircut pretty pretty hard no i i was a victim of that haircut. you had a bowl oh, cut i did oh, so <laughs> but yeah I, I just love the way that bucharity wears it so i gotta oh, give him man. props for that Did you go back all right um the one thing I want to say about uh, Bucerti, because he's one of my favorite characters uh, out of part five. Um, we've mentioned like he's been a formidable leader um, for, it's the squad in Passione. Passione is like the main mafia gang or whatever. Um, and it's funny because like he, I think he's very like anti-drug. Um, oh yeah, he hates yeah, drugs. Yeah, because of like his, his childhood upbringing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as, it's weird because like they're all part of this mafia and you know the mafia does like criminal activities and the first half of part five is them taking trish to see diavolo right yeah and then i think it's bucerti who realizes what diavolo is trying to do with trish and he he morally realizes the wrongdoing of that and so he was willing to just risk his reputation within the mafia to save her and you get the whole uh, traitor arc after that. And yeah, it was at the cost of his own life, as, as we mentioned. Yeah. Um, although it was Giorno that kind of kept him alive until the very end. But I just thought that that was just a very noble characteristic of Bucerati. Yeah. And it fits that best mom characteristic. It's like, I got to protect <laughs> this girl because she's going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's what I was saying. Like, there's kind of two sides to him where you see that Noban as well. He's also quite ruthless and quite brutal in certain some of his actions as well mm -hmm. yeah no, absolutely yeah. that's that's why I, I stand by him being one of the the best leaders that we get in in jojo because he he went through a lot he sacrificed a lot and because of him jorno was able to do what he needed to do to yeah. to save italy plus uh, his stand sticky finger zipper man i just love his adi, 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 adi. oh yeah that's good <laughs> <laughs> that's good <laughs> it's like Second to like the Muda or the Aura. Yeah. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <look. laughs> All right, so I'll go next. Um, second on my list is Jean Pierre Polnareff from parts oh, three cool and ass. part five. I always forget that he was also in part five. Um, and like a lot of other Joe Bros, Polnareff is foe turned friend, although to against his will because I think he was being controlled by Dio when we first meet him. Yeah, but the reason he's one of my favorites is because he's he's just hilarious he brings the comedic elements to the stardust crusaders like yeah. he'll do things like offer someone chewing gum when they're trying to figure out how to save themselves from being stranded in the ocean <laughs> or sneezing i like my, he like sneezes in jotaro's face unknowingly saving his life from when whole horse is trying to shoot him and then he gets attacked whenever he just wants to go to the toilet and have a shit. Like that's <laughs> that only happens to Polnareff. It only ever happens to Polnareff. Um, he also has really great love hate relationships with, um, as I mentioned earlier, with Iggy, but then also with Avdol because Avdol I think is a very close friend of his, but you know he he butts heads with him at times. And I loved that whole uh, Polnareff's character development from the moment he thought that he got Avdol killed 
when they were up against Whole Horse to realizing that Abdul was actually alive this whole time and no one told him about it because <laughs> they thought he wouldn't be able to keep his mouth shut. So I really enjoyed yeah. the, the different relationships that he had with the Stardust Crusaders. But to me, the biggest impact that he had is that he's both a Jobro to Jotaro as well as Jorno because he risked his life um, for, I think, both of them, really. So he's, he's pretty much been through a lot up until, you know, the close of his story in part five. Like, his sister was murdered. He thought that he got Abdul killed. He lost Iggy, who sacrificed his life to protect him. Um, he parted ways with Jotaro and Joseph and was never really able to reunite with them. He got attacked by Diavolo and lost the use of his legs. Yeah. And then in the end, he becomes a fucking turtle in order to protect everyone <laughs> from uh, from King Crimson. And I'm like, that's, again, a, a major sacrifice moment in order to protect others as well as protected joe star so to me he he's he's been through a lot and he doesn't let that like all of those events in his life stop him from doing the right thing yeah I, you know just comment i forgot like how sad of a life uh Polner F has led um especially like his sister and then all the events of stardust crusaders and then he ends up as a turtle <laughs> in a part yeah. five a turtle it's, of all things yeah. but Poor i guy. think the thing i love about him as you commented, is like he never loses like his humor throughout this. Like he he does the offering of of the gum at a random time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then sneezes in Jotaro's face on accident. Because um, yeah, I would say like for him being a very tragic character in JoJo, he also serves as great comic relief throughout. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he definitely does. And I also really appreciate that even though he's on this journey with the Stardust Crusaders, he never forgets his ultimate goal, which is avenging his sister for being murdered by that one stand user. Um, and even after he gets his revenge, I think like partway through the series, he continues on that journey. Like he doesn't, once he, he fulfills that part of his, his ultimate goal, he doesn't stop his journey with the Stardust Crusaders. He continues on knowing that there's a greater evil out there that caused that ultimately caused the death of his sister um so you gotta you gotta give him props for that that he was able to balance his own personal goals as well as those of the stardust crusaders i like i like the way he um he was really in touch with his uh he's really in touch with his like french connections and everything um and like i, I like the way he, the use of his stand is simple brawling kind of um stand silver chariot and yeah he's like you guys mentioned he's re he's a real his comic his comic relief is needed within that group because um obviously Avdol's <laughs> Avdol's a straight and narrow guy. Kakioin is smooth kind of um how do I say analytical guy. Uh mm -hmm. <laughs> Joseph is the old cracking wise cracking guy and uh <laughs> you already know about Jotaro he's just like straight faced so yeah I think Paul Nareth is so integral to that group and yeah it's the lightens the mood in most times in most occasions yeah. to be honest I also yeah. I really liked his stand I, I mean it wasn't as flashy as everyone else's stand which is why yeah. I liked it, it simple um yeah yeah yeah, yeah I agree it's, and it's I... fencing right like that's yeah, a... yeah, yeah I think yeah, so yeah. very very like very cultural um culturally sound like culturally for... in tune with, yeah, with it, him being yeah. from france yeah absolutely and i think my favorite part of um silver chariot which we only got one moment of was that he could pierce fire i remember when he first oh, went up yeah. against abdul oh, yeah. and he was able to actually stab the fire like the, the flames that um 
What is Abdul Stan's name? Uh magician's red yes yeah, magician's that magician's red, red yeah. was able to to shoot at him like that's a really cool concept to know that his his fencing abilities are that unique that he can pierce flames that that was cool to me and then chariot requiem is just fucking terrifying yeah it's so like, scary <laughs> like it's just walking around i think for most of part five just yeah. protecting the arrow yeah mindlessly just walking around yeah oh. like it doesn't like because i know there you see shots of a regular silver chariot and he has yeah. like these bug eyes sometimes yeah. yeah and then in part five you just get this silhouetted character that it's like the stuff of nightmares Ooh. yeah <laughs> yeah another thing about polar nerf is obviously he has great hair too yeah actually yeah he's got a flat top too that's right <laughs> oh, yeah, see? okay okay steve steve who did it who did it better steve was it Ko- koichi or was it paul Nareff? <laughs> you know what you know what because like there's a wider circumference on i gotta give it to koichi still <laughs> that's the best reason i've ever heard <laughs> wider <laughs> circumference <laughs> well there's also that meme of polnareff's like you've seen that picture where it's his head or his hair just keeps going and yeah going like and going. 12 like, feet tall <laughs> yeah. but no i like the circumference thing oh man that's so good <laughs> all right well carl you told me before we started recording that you wanted to save your last jobo for last right yes okay. um just because I'm curious if this character appears on anyone else's list. Okay. Do you have anyone else on your list, or is that the last one? Uh, no, it was just um, Stroheim and Shigechi, and then my last one. Okay. So then, Steve, we'll jump back to you. Um, anyone else left on your list? Yes. Um, this is actually an interesting one. Um, so this is from Shining Diamond. Um, sorry, Diamond is Unbreakable, sorry, from part four. Uh, Rohan Kishibe. Rohan. Oh, Rohan. Yeah, I I I found him absolutely interesting because I thought it was a thing where um maybe they're paying homage to maybe one of the manga because of him obviously him being a manga artist my my automatic assumption is that maybe they're paying homage to someone within the staff or something like that that that's how it was um the character was inspired but um Rohan Rohan became very interesting because obviously he was so um i I love this stand uh i love this stand heaven's door because he was able to was or like yeah it was invasion of privacy but you're able to just read minds through like in the way of comic format and just see like uh you know predict you're able to see what a person's about like who they really are stuff or if they're lying i think um rohan is a very intellectual person obviously he became became from throat to friend friend <laughs> and um yeah he had his own yard and everything. And I loved, even though it was a very, they hated each other, I loved the dynamic he had with Josuke. Like, they were just so vocal about how much they hated each other and everything. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And, like, the fact that Josuke went to his house to just try <laughs> to put some money off of him because of that alien friend <laughs> that he befriended. And um, then yeah. his house burns down, doesn't it? In his the house middle burns of the game. Down. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to that part. Was like his house burns down, and he literally doesn't care. And he says, "Give me back my money." I know you're, I know you're lying about something. You're just like, "What do you mean? What do you mean your house is burning down?" <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved how helpful he became towards the end of um part four as well, because obviously he was helping taking the pictures of all the workers, and he was like, it was the catalyst of identifying Kira's family. Um, well. 
the fam the family of the person that he killed. Um, you know, he found the son and everything, and then you know he tried to meet up with the son and everything. Of uh, uh, was Hay Hayato? I think was his name. The little kid. Yeah, yeah. the son. Yeah, and I just I just thought he was became so useful because um, even if at, at that part that part was so epic when he was reading into Hayato's when he used Heaven's Daughter to read into Hayato. And like just say, oh, you're gonna get, you're gonna get killed by Kira. I was like, oh shit, you know. And like it, it was just, it was just, I, I, I could tell that there was something more to Killer Killer Queen's abilities, because I remember Free Heaven's Door. He was able to, he didn't give him a blood, um, a breakdown as to what was about to happen. They just gave him. Hayato was just telling him, uh, pretty much, um, the future, bit by bit. Ah, uh, the lightning will be struck on the Pepsi sign. Um, uh, some old old man and woman will walk, pa- walk past. And like, yeah, I, I remember that part. I was just like, I was at the edge of my seat. I was at the edge of my seat. I was like, what's what's about to happen? Then he said, ah, you'll be killed by the killer queen. And that was, yeah, that's when he exploded. Yeah, that was a really intense moment. Yeah, that, that whole sequence was so good. That whole sequence, I was at the edge of my seat. But yeah, Rohan, he's he's awesome, man. I actually love It's just so funny. He's dynamic. I'm just kidding. But yeah. Yeah, and I, I like how you mentioned that he's a, a manga artist. I There's a fan theory. I don't think it's been confirmed by Iraqi, but there's a yeah. fan theory out there that Rohan is basically Iraqi's self-insert into... Um, into his own series, which I, I like to think is is uh, is true because I that's really cool and just the the eccentricity of Rohan I think plays yeah. into probably how eccentric Araki is given all of his characters are are wild and crazy. But I I also really love Heaven's Door and I know a lot of people argue that the hand is one of the strongest um, stands in Part Four. And while I do agree with that, I I think Heaven's Door is pretty underrated because. Not only can he read anyone's memory or personal traits at any time, he can also force them to do anything that he wants just by yeah, writing it in yeah. like the their their heads or whatever. Kind of like how at the beginning of part five, when Koichi goes to um, Italy, he comments the only reason he's able to converse with anyone is because he asked Rohan to write in his um, in his like memory or whatever through Heaven's Door that he would be fluent in Italian. I'm like, that's such a cool way to use that that stand power. Very very cool and I, I, lo- I love the way he was so he was so um um hell-bent on like engaging like trying to experience tangible things in real life to help um you know empower his writing even further like he was hell-bent on just experiencing different types of pains like i remember i remember when he wanted to get the the expressions of um when uh, Koichi was uh, vomiting. Like he said, oh, get a proper, <laughs> get a proper expression so I can properly draw. I was like, wow, <laughs> this guy is really into his work, you know. And I kind of like, I kind of respected it in a way, even though it was a um, sadistic kind of throw at that point. But yeah. <laughs> Rohan's actually your favorite character, isn't he, Courtney? Or like in part four? Um, He's one of my favorites, yeah. I also just really love his outfits. I think at one point, He's wearing these white pants, and they're so low that you can see his man thong sticking out, and it looks like a Versace thong. <laughs> it actually—I wonder if it's the gambling episode or not. It's—it's it's towards like the latter half, I think, of um of the show. But yeah, he just you know answers the door, and his thong is sticking out. I'm like, okay, you do you, Rohan. You you do your thing. <laughs> and I feel like, like 
Araki has an affinity for Ron because he has his own OVA. I know we haven't watched it yet. No. Was it Thus Spoke Kishibe Rohan? Yeah. yeah. And then he has that um, that that collab with, was it the Louvre? The Louvre, and they had a collab with Gucci, I think, as well. Oh. Yeah, so he, I feel like Rohan's like almost as prevalent as Josuke when it comes to representing part four. And I think that's why people argue that, you know, even though Araki won't admit it, it's probably his self-insert into the show. He's a great character, though. I, I enjoy, um, similar to what to what you mentioned, I, I enjoy the dynamic between Rohan and, and Josuke because Josuke is like a, a delinquent kid who's rough around the edges, and Rohan acts like he's better than everyone. But there are times when Josuke kind of brings him down to scale, and I really like that. All right, so then, F.A., do you have anyone else on your list? No, that was it for me. Ooh, okay, okay. So then I'll go with my last person, um, and then Carl will wrap up with your your super secret one that you want to save till the end. (laughs) This is going to be such a downer, but, you know, (laughs) you can go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, you got to keep the hype going. (laughs) All right, so my last person is also from part four, and that's Okuyasu. Because oh, he is so stupid in the greatest <laughs> way. <laughs> See, I but was yeah. gonna put Okiyasu, but I had a feeling you were gonna add him. To I love list. him. I think he's so dumb. It's it's <laughs> it's great. Like he's another uh, faux turn friend in the Jobro universe. Um, as I mentioned earlier, most people argue that he has one of the most powerful stands um, in part four, and I can certainly see why. But the greatest part is we'll never know the full potential of the hand because yeah. like Okoyasu is too stupid to know how to use it. <laughs> and I think I actually rewatched, in preparation for this this um, discussion, I rewatched the climactic fight between Josuke and uh, Kira where Okoyasu comes in and saved Josuke's life by swiping the, the bubble towards him. And Okuyasu says, like, he acknowledges in this climactic fight that he often wonders where the stuff goes that he scrapes away with his stand, but that he doesn't think too hard about it or it'll give him headaches. I'm like, (laughs) why? This is your crowning moment. You're saving your friend's life against the biggest villain in Moriocho. And that's what you say that I don't think too hard about it because then I get headaches. (laughs) Like, he's he's just so funny. Um, But he's another delinquent who, um, because he's stupid, he's easily manipulated by others. And when we meet him, he was following, I believe, his brother's orders um, in the initial fight with Josuke and Koichi. Yeah. But he decided to turn against his brother in the middle of that fight in order to save their lives, which, you know, for someone as easily manipulated as him to do that of his own accord, I thought was impressive character development right off the bat. And he saves um, both Josuke's and Joseph's lives. I, I forgot about this at first, but when I was doing some research, I remembered that on the boat, when Joseph is coming to Japan, yeah. Okuyasu ends up on that boat, oh, right, and yeah. I think Red Hot Chili Peppers is about to like strike down Joseph, and there's two dudes standing in front of Okuyasu, and he's like, one of you guys is the enemy stand user. I don't know who it is, so I'm going to punch a guy at random, and he just happened <laughs> really? to punch the right guy. <laughs> yeah, it's right just pure luck. Yeah, <laughs> so he saved Joseph's life, which is great, but it was totally on a fluke, which is you know perfect for Okuyasu. <laughs> Yeah, I loved this. Um, I loved Okiyasu. I was contemplating adding it to my list as well. Um, he he had very good development in the anime, uh, in my opinion. And he pretty much he pretty much. I think when things came full circle, oh, I think when I started to see the development is obviously when he was facing Red Hot Chili Pepper. Like we could so we could we could tell that he was able to hold his own 
and hold his own against like you know a powerful foe. Um, obviously, we could see, but obviously, I did, he, he used underhanded tactics to take him, try to kidnap him, and everything. Um, and uh, but what I came to appreciate about Okuyasu is like his development with Josuke, like. Uh, they became like the delinquent brothers, kind of like <laughs> <laughs> just how they just developed into you know going to restaurants and like um, sharing the drink from time to time and everything. And what really, um, what really came, uh, what really made me come to is when he, when he, uh, when um, Kira kind of wounded him, fatally wounded him. She just killed him and like it took him a while to um, come alive again. But I think it was, I think the part when he started reflecting about uh, what he saw when he almost died, pretty much, and said how he talked to his brother and saw like, um, you, know, you should make your own decisions and stuff like that, or do you wanna, do you wanna just try chase me forever and like, you know, I think Okiyasu kind of just understood that he needs to, like, um, he needs to be more independent, like, not even even though his brother's passed on, he does need to keep lying on him to make the decision and stop putting himself down like you know thinking that he was holding his brother back and i kind of really appreciate that because it just you know you just it's just the chains like from you know and maybe that could have been the dawn of him becoming a bit more intellectual and like you know it's a bit more well versed on how to use his the handstand and yeah um yeah i really liked okiyasu he was just a very bold, very bold and brutally honest person. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, uh, what did you say? Josuke's mum is hot. Like, just oh, saying yeah. how jealous he was of Kochi and Yukako. And, like, I was like, this is my guy. You know, I like, I like um, how bold and honest he was. Yeah. Just being the dumb guy he is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can't. For me, one of the things that I feel were like, I feel bad for Okuyasu about is in the OVA, the spoke Kishibe Rohan. Um, they did him dirty with his face. He looks cursed in that OVA. I don't know if you've ever seen screenshots from it, but man, he looks bad in that OVA. So oh. poor Okuyasu. <laughs> like he's a great character and then they just destroyed his face in that OVA. He looks he looks scary. You know? <laughs> oh, we got seen good. See this. You got to whenever you have a chance, look up Okuyasu in that OVA. He just his eyes are bugging out the whole time. It's very uh very unsettling. He's great. I've, I've seen parts of it. He's great in the OVA, but just looking at him is a bit tough. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of memes out there that just take pictures of him out of context. <laughs> like, he he makes the, like, most memeable faces yeah. out of everyone <laughs> in part four. Like, his bug eyes. Um, I don't Yeah. <laughs> the thing about Okuyasu I love as well is, like, his voice actor in anime. Um, I've heard him, I've heard his voice actor multiple times in other animes, and I uh, particularly in the, I think I think I heard his voice actor particularly. I love that voice voice actors. Um, uh, Hajime no Ippo, the boxing anime. Uh, there's one character Alki, and I just feel like he's a his voice actor is a proper proper delinquent kind of character. Um, he's proper villain. He sounds very villainous in general. Um, his voice actor, um, the way he does his voice, and I think I've also heard him in Naruto. In Obito's voice, is it Obito's? Adult Obito's voice. Yeah, um, I love his voice actor, man. I think his voice actor is also um, 
Onizuka from Great Teacher Onizuka for anyone who's seen that. Okay. Um, so he's been mm-hmm. in the game for a long time, which is funny because like this this older guy yeah. <laughs> is voicing this uh, high school student, <laughs> and he he sounds rough. He does <laughs> not sound like a high school school athlete. <laughs> That's just what makes his character so great. I'm also reading here. Uh, the the Japanese voice actor is Wataru Takagi. He's the official Japanese voice of Daffy Duck. What? <laughs> and I, I can kind of hear it now. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Listening to Okuyasu's But voice. having watched JoJo first, if we ever watch the the Japanese like dubbing of um, Daffy Duck, I'll just be able... I won't be able to unhear Okuyasu the whole time. I'll be like, that's not Daffy, that's Okuyasu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so then, Carl, do you want to share what you've been saving for the very end here? I'm, I'm eager to know who this is. Yeah, so um, no one's brought up this character yet, um, but I'm taking us back to part one, Phantom Blood. I guess you could consider this the first friend for a JoJo character, Ooh, okay. and that is... Danny the dog. Oh, Danny. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll take that. That's a Joe bro right there. You can't forget about man's best friend. <laughs> like, the, the, yeah, Danny is uh, was it Jonathan's great date, <laughs> and he, I think he's only featured in the very first episode. But I think his death is one of the primary reasons we have JoJo's bizarre adventure in the first place because it's sort of like a a catalyst for the ongoing feud between Dio and the Joestar bloodline. I like to equate it to how Danny's death is kind of like Jonathan Joestar's John Wick moment. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, you, if, you watch, if you watch the first John Wick film, you, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, and, you know, like, Danny's just, it's all the qualities that you would expect of of, of a pet like he's friendly, obedient, loyal. Yeah. And I'd like to highlight loyal because um, I was kind of rewatching um, episode one of part one. And, you know, Dio's going through all these schemes to make people turn away from Jonathan. And there's a scene where Jonathan's waving his friends over to come hang out. And his friends say, like, no, we know that you're a snitch. That's what Dio told us. And they walk away. And, like, Jonathan has this really goofy tamp temper ten- or temper tantrum and Danny's there with him but like even though that's all happening it's Danny who stays by Jonathan's side and I thought the most endearing thing was Jonathan like he's petting Danny and says like you'll be my friend no matter what Dio does and oh. that's that's true <laughs> and we so, all know Rocky for some reason is not nice to dogs throughout no. Jojo and Danny's the first one um, who falls victim to that <laughs> but yeah I mean Danny's the epitome of man's best friend and He's a he's a good dog. Yeah, he was the first casualty of Araki's hatred of of drawing dogs. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, do you think the catalyst for the viewers hating Dio is when he killed Danny, or was it when he kicked Danny when he first showed up to the Joestar house? Remember, he kicks him because Danny runs over to yeah. say hi, and, he and kicks that was Danny. It was just like unwarranted. Yeah, like Dio only kicked him because he knew of his association with Jonathan. Yeah, he knew it would like get under Jonathan's He didn't skin. deserve that. He didn't deserve to die. I think Dio only threw Danny into the incinerator just because Jonathan had previously beat him in a fight and he just wanted to, to get a one-up against one him. Up and yeah. But but then Dio caused the fight because Jonathan found out that 
Dio made moves on Arena. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's just I'm I'm sad that Danny had to be like yeah. he got the short end of the stick in that whole situation. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting because, you know, we talked about Iggy earlier and Iggy's also a dog in mm-hmm. in, in the JoJo universe. But here you have like a very pure type of dog like one that doesn't have an inner monologue one that doesn't have a certain level of intelligence that iggy has one that doesn't have a stand or you know hormone abilities because it's part one so it's just purely a happy dog that wants to hang out with jonathan be with his best friend and yeah that's all you could ever ask for absolutely love dogs mostly anyway yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know what it is about what it's, it's so hard to see animals die it's just yeah. It's, yeah. It's sometimes harder to iggy's death was iggy's death danny's death they're just just death deaths of dogs and films are just like oh man yeah but i also want to say with danny's death it's kind of the butler's fault because mm-hmm. there's a scene where like the butler he he puts uh, firewood into the incinerator and then he lights it and then he can hear like scratching on the door and he acknowledges something's burning in there and it's still alive, but yeah. he, it doesn't reveal if he opened the door. At oh all. yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like he, he he knows something's there, and then the scene cuts. It's like open the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, screw that butler man. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, at the very end of things, at least Danny, you know, as a plot device, served well to make us really hate Dio from from the get go. Because it's one thing for Dio to just pester um, and be rude to to Jonathan, who's the main character, who's got you know things going for him. He's wealthy, he's got friends and stuff. But to see somebody do something like that to an animal that just wants to be your friend, that that really takes Dio to the next level of yeah. like crazy and sadistic and, and true evil, you know, antagonist of the show. Yeah, I was gonna say like if Dio represents like the pure evil, Danny kind of represents just pure innocence, and like you said, Dio takes that away, and so. I think everyone's justified in like hating his guts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, does anyone else have any other Joe Bros that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, no. Okay. Yeah, I think well, I'm that's... good to, yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been, to me, a really solid list of Joe Bros. Actually, we had less overlap than I thought we would. I feel like yeah, everyone had a very good, like a very unique set of, yeah. of Joe Bros. So I think this discussion covered like the best of the best Joe Bros <laughs> out there. Absolutely. <laughs> we we hit on them all. And all of the, uh, you know, the Kakyoins loving moms and the, the Paul Nerefs <laughs> not being able to take, you know, shits in toilets. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, thank you so, so much, Stephen F.A., for joining yeah, us you. and thank being you. our very first guest on, on Trickly JoJo. Um, we we really appreciate it, and we hope you, you enjoyed this discussion. Definitely. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. JoJo to the world. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and before we finish things up, so we'd love for you guys to, to plug your stuff. Where can um, everyone listening find you guys on social media, and then where can they tune in to Anime Headliners podcast? Can I let you take this? Hey, come on, Steve. Yeah, go on, <laughs> well, you can check us out on YouTube and um, Spotify and Apple Music. Apple Music, I don't know what it's called now. Um, yeah, and I follow our Instagram page at Anime Headliners. 
Uh, we also have a Twitter page and in the process of creating a Twitch page as well. So look out for that. Oh, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Perfect. And we'll be sure to add all the links and everything in the show notes too for this episode. Um, but yeah, thank you again for the awesome discussion today. This was so much fun. And now we're going to head into, um, we're going to have you guys stick around so that we could head into our Patreon bonus episode because we've got some additional JoJo questions to ask you guys. Sweet. And that wraps up episode 30 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday during our Stone Ocean review series. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and your favorite Joe Bro. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be 